Blog Talk Radio. Good, man. We hung out for a couple hours. It was good. 
Good. Now, uh, unfortunately, we got to go to the uh, the dark side of that, which was that game, and you yeah. hit it on the head with not having any words. I mean, when you think of Urban Meyer, you think of somebody who's generally a football genius, and mm-hmm. that may have been the worst game plan from the weekend. And it was so bad it, to the point where Ezekiel Elliott just ripped the coaching staff up and down, which, by the way, I think affects his draft stock. We can talk about that a little bit later because uh, that's not something you want to ever hear one of your star players do. And after the game, just came right out and said, yeah, I'm not coming back. Yeah, but the thing about that is that that piece of it to me is a little tongue-in-cheek because, you know, he was never coming back. When or lose that game, he still wasn't coming back. I think that piece of it was the wrong forum for him to come out with the draft stock. But I did enjoy it, and I know I'm too close to it, and now that the emotion has subsided a little bit, I can see where people are like, hey, you don't air the coaches out like that. But this has been a not one-game thing. If you've been paying attention to the Ohio State, and me and you, when we do our podcast every week, I've been saying it. Why are they not giving the ball to Ezekiel Elliott? They're not giving the ball enough. They're doing too much of the cute stuff, you know, running those jet sweeps and forcing the ball in the Braxton's hands and calling plays where you can diagnose the play before it even happens as opposed to giving the ball to Ezekiel Elliott, making them come up and respect that, and then you pull the ball out with JT Barrett and do the quarterback runs, and you do the play action, you go down and throw to Braxton Miller. But it has to be predicated on Ezekiel Elliott first, and they put the cart before the horse, and they've been doing it all year, and I think that was just an explosion from him of being frustrated all year long. You want to know who really gets a bump up from that? It would be Todd Herman. Who was that? Or Tom Herman, because yeah. without without Herman, that offense has looked pedestrian at best. Really, I mean – it, they've looked like Florida State did last year. They've had a horrible schedule. I believe this was their first-ranked opponent, and um, yep. saw what happened. And it also it kind of shines a little bit badly on Connor Cook because it kind of shows that he may be a system. There's been rumblings in the NFL about his accuracy and him being a little bit overrated. Uh, my guy, Christian Hackenberg, who you've been calling for weeks, is overrated. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, after seeing that game, I'm – especially with um, – Zeke and with uh, Cardale's thoughts on the NFL, I'm not real. I don't know how I feel about them playing Michigan next week. That's that's become a lot closer game in my eyes than I thought. Yeah, and you know what? Back to your point about uh, Connor Cook, and I was watching the game that Penn State was doing. Chris Spellman was doing the uh, analysis, and he made a good point. He's going to have to explain to the coaches and the GMs at the combine why he was never named a captain of the team. You know, he's been there, and it's all about Connor Cook and his Michigan State Spartans. And you never, he's never been named captain of the team that one year? I was not aware of that, but that's actually kind of – that's a little scary thought. Usually your quarterbacks are always – especially on good teams, usually your quarterbacks are always captains, especially somebody who's been yeah. there long time. Exactly. I, and, you know, I didn't know that either. I was like, wow, that's, that, that is a pretty good point. You know, he's got to be the leader of the team, and that's what your captains are. He's never been elected as captain by, by his teammates. Uh, and going back to your point, it's, it's either going to be nothing down the middle for them this week at, at Michigan. It either is going to be they get the ball and run the game plan we thought they all should have run with Ezekiel and predicate off that, and they come out, you know, embarrassed, and they just go off on Michigan. Or they go and put their, t- their tail between their legs, and they get stopped. I don't see anything that's in between those two things, given what happened. And that was my only worry after I kind of my, let my emotions slide down of him coming out like that because now – you got to deal with that, and they kind of made the defenses, so to speak. But I don't know yet, and I'm with you, until they get back on the field, um, how it's going to go. Uh, before I jump off this, and I was going to ask you about this, and you uh, you gave it a good tease, I was going to go 10. What do you think the over and under 10 spots that he lost in the draft 
uh, his draft stock by coming out and airing out the coaches like that. The DJ Elliott, that is. What it's hard to measure because of the way the running backs are valued. Um, uh-huh. I think he lost. I th- I would go over, assuming that he okay. would be a top fifteen pick. I think he would lose. I think he may drop into the very bottom of the first round, maybe even the second round. Uh, it's hard to tell with running backs because they are so devalued, uh, and he still has a fantastic skill set. But that is not mm-hmm. the type of attitude, especially the position that doesn't normally get drafted as well anymore. You can't have any sort of blemishes like that. Uh, so I would say over. I think I don't know if he was a surefire top fifteen to begin with. Um, if he was, say he was a top twenty pick, then I don't think he would be ten. Um, I think you're going to see there's still going to be one team that falls in love with him. Uh, there's a few teams that need running backs, and he is a stud running back. Especially the the most underrated part of his game maybe the most important part to his draft stock, and that's his uh, his blitz pickup. He is one of the best yep. pass protector running backs in entire college football. But this may have dropped him behind Derrick Henry. And, and I would agree with that. Um, I, would go, I would go over just because of all things we talked about with Connor Cook and the captaincy. If you select him that high, given how they devalue the running backs, we need you to come in and be a rook and be quiet and do a go about the job. Uh, so he might have – you know, hurt himself with that about 10 spots, a little bit more than that. Uh, but, you know, as a fan, I understood where he was coming from because we've all been asking the same question. And all of his, you know, other fellow draftees, like uh, Joey Bosa came out and said, you know, probably maybe that wasn't the right form, but, you know, he was he just said what everybody was afraid to say. So I'll, I'll leave it on that. I know I'm a homer, but th- that was just a, a, the start of a rough weekend for me. I'm going to throw you a softball here, and we've been talking about it with Georgia. I mean, my word. Georgia Southern threw seven passes in that game, seven, and it took Georgia to overtime. I I don't I know you watched all of it on tape delay like you are prone to do. What was your thoughts on that? Is it just more par for the, for the course for Georgia, or I mean, did it really make you come to a full breaking point with this regime? Uh, well, you know I've been at the end of my <laughs> rope with this regime for a while, so I kind of took it as par for the course. Um, I. I do think that Georgia Southern gets undersold a little bit. They're a better team than Georgia Tech. So a lot of people were saying this was a warm-up game for Tech, and that's just not true. They're a better team all the way around than Georgia Tech right now. Um, the part that really got to me was the vanilla game plans as per usual, just mm-hmm. running into a brick wall up the middle when you can see that it's not working. Luckily, Sony finally broke loose there in overtime for that 25-yard run. Um, the defense was bugging me all day. And um, luckily, I got picked up a little bit there at the end. But, uh, I mean, especially – and it wasn't their starter. It wasn't Ellison that was bothering me. It was um, that backup running back – or that backup quarterback and that big, mm-hmm. tall, lanky kid whose name is escaping me right now. Um, uh, but he he runs a 4-3 speed. And all you saw, especially on that huge, huge run down the sideline, Dominic Sanders just gets blown by because he took a bad angle. And that – that's purely coaching. You can't be taking bad angles on a quarterback option. I mean, there were a few that were just outstanding plays on there. There's one where he's getting lifted in the air and he still manages to toss it to the running back. Um, but outside of that, option is all just staying home and staying disciplined. Luckily, yep. once overtime hit, Leonard Floyd said, no, thank you, this is my game now. And on all four of those <laughs> plays, just destroyed it. I don't know if you saw that part of it, but that was the best part of the game. He was, he was double-teamed all game, and yeah. he was double-teamed in overtime, and he just straight up said, nope, no more. And Leonard Floyd took it on himself, and you you can see why he's debatably a first-round pick. 
Yeah, I actually was in transit uh, between the Ohio State game, and I had to go home for a second, and then I got up with another friend later. And uh, when I walked into the bar and saw the score, and, you know, of course, you know, being in Atlanta, it was a lot of Georgia fans in there. And, you know, the look and the on their faces told me they were in trouble. Then I looked up and saw the score and said, oh, my goodness. Uh, then, so we saw, we watched overtime. Yeah, he just that's a pure destruction in overtime. Like, we're not losing at home to Georgia Southern. Uh, so, and, and I hope we, the Bengals need a guy like that. Hopefully he will fall to us. And I know how Marvin Lewis is about the Georgia boy, so you can put him on the radar. You might become a Bengals fan before it's over because he'll try to get your whole squad. Um, oh, I'm already a Bengals fan. They got AJ. Yeah, and Gino. Um, do you think this is a – so do you think they'll have less problems with Georgia Tech next week than they did with Georgia Southern uh, now that they've seen it? Okay. That, that's what I was going to ask you about. Not even just that they've seen it. I just think Georgia Southern is mm-hmm. a better team than Georgia Tech, honestly. Okay. I think Fair Georgia enough. Southern's under undersold because they're small, but they've got better quarterback play than Justin Thomas. Uh, they don't have as many injuries. That Georgia Tech team's already depleted, and – um, Georgia State's defense is by far better than Georgia Tech's has been this year. I mean, I'm not – no matter what happens, you know, Mark Rick is going to stay no matter what. They're going to be too worried about losing Eason. But I really do think that Georgia Tech is an easier opponent than Georgia Southern. Yeah, and Georgia Southern, you know, a lot of people outside of the South don't know about them, but they've been a powerhouse that one double-A level for a second now, and they just have moved up. So it's taking them a second. You know, once you join the big boys, it's, it's hard to remain that power that power team. But I have a lot of respect for that Georgia Southern program. They're a really good program, but, you know, unless you are regionally located here in the southeast, you don't really know about them. Um, staying in the southeast and the SEC, LSU just in complete free fall. I mean, I know teams have a hard time after playing Alabama because it's such a physical game, but mercy. They three in a row, and now the talks of Les Miles being bought out, uh, I think he might be starting to enter that same kind of situation with Mark Rick where it's just been so long and you may need a change of voice. But the thing about it is, you know, he already has a national title and he has and the another appearance. Yeah. And he's got the best winning percentage of LSU of any other coach, including Nick Saban in the past century. I'm just saying, sometimes you should be careful what you wish for. Um, see San Francisco and Jim Harbaugh. What, do you, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, we talked about it earlier in terms of, you know, could they lure Jimbo Fisher from Florida State? But do you think the time is right for them to fire Les Miles at LSU? No, I don't think the time is right. But I think what you're seeing is a team that isn't going to accept mediocrity. And I hope they do fire Les Miles because I want the Mad Hatter here at Georgia. I have I have been on the Les Miles bandwagon for, for well, for Georgia since, uh, since before that 2012 game. I would love Les Miles. And to be able to tell him, hey, the only time you're going to have to play Saban is in Atlanta in the national championship or in the SEC championship game. Yes, sir. You know he can recruit. He's arguably one of the few coaches who's a better recruiter than Rick, especially on the defensive side, where they just churn out NFL powerhouse players. And he runs a pro-style system, so it wouldn't really affect any of your recruiting class. You might even be able to keep Eason, because I think Eason's more concerned about going to a team with a pro-style than he is about being there with Rick. Um but that, there's no doubt that team, I mean, it was a flawed team going in. Um, mm-hmm. Teams have figured out, now they're just throwing nine in the box and just daring Brandon Harris to have to throw the ball. They're just selling out to stop Fournette. And they're they're run blitzing nearly every play. And it's just, it, until Brandon Harris can take a step and do something, that's going to be what's going to be stuck with LSU. That has been the trademark of Les Miles the last few years. Is he's, he's never been real good at getting in a good quarterback. 
I think that's been his one downfall when you compare him to Saban. Yeah, and and I would agree with all that. But when I read that article and the booster saying we're going to buy him out because we're not competing for national championships and, uh, and we won't have discussions, dude, you were just number two in the initial rankings. I mean, it wasn't like you were number 22 having to work your way up. Yeah, they hit, they hit a tough spot, but you were definitely vying for a national championship this year. And, and I will give you the problem with him developing a quarterback, and I was going to ask you, wouldn't you be basically switching one the same person out for the same problem? Because I'm looking at Mark Rick, and they're having problems with the quarterback situation, especially this year. And Les Bowles in the past, you know, five years has been unable to develop a quarterback, a consistent quarterback play at LSU. So say the dominoes fall that way and LSU lets him go and Georgia picks him up, do you not have any worries about him coming in and having the same quarterback development problem at Georgia that he had at LSU? Not really, because Les Miles is a better in-game coach, and he knows his own weaknesses, especially with quarterbacks. And it's it's hard when you have to recruit right next to Saban, but um, uh-huh. even if you keep going with the same quarterback play with Miles, there's a reason why LSU's always been better than Georgia while Miles has been there, even with lesser quarterback play. Uh, it's just because Les Miles is a better coach, and what he doesn't get in quarterback, he will more than make up for in defense, especially the secondary. I mean, you look at LSU, for the entire time yeah. Les Miles has been there, they've been churning out first and second round DBs like it was nothing. Yeah. So let me ask you one final note on this. Um, do you think Georgia is a better talent-based state for high school players than Louisiana is? Oh, definitely. Georgia's okay. one of the powerhouse means- states as far as talent. LSU has a few really, really good players, but their drop-off between their top tier and their bottom tier is not very good. They always have – they generally have three or four top players in the nation, but after that you can't find them on the boards. Okay. I was just wondering because I think – I see that as a lateral move, and you know, from LSU to Georgia because, like you said, you still have two pretty decent states in terms of recruiting. You're still standing in the best conference. Um so, you know, I think he, he Georgia didn't play LSU every year, but they was, he would still get his shot at LSU if they both reached the mm-hmm. uh, SEC championship game in Atlanta. And I think that he would relish that opportunity to do that and the chance of either Alabama or LSU to, to knock them off. He's basically uh, guaranteed, the though, to go to – he's basically guaranteed to go to Atlanta. I mean, the only team he's going to have to worry about year in and year out is Florida, maybe Tennessee if they start to be something. But at least for the next three yeah. to five years, it would just be Florida that he'd be competing with. Yeah, and I take Les Miles over Michael Wayne right now. Either way, he would he would instantly yeah. become the best the best coach in the SEC East. All right, let's uh, now that we have hit all our homerism here, uh, <laughs> let's expand <laughs> out a little bit more on uh, on the college football. And again, we talked about the bloodbath that the Big Twelve was getting ready to become this November, and it's playing out. And I didn't really expect Oklahoma State to lose to Baylor. Uh, but but Baylor, wow! I mean, they really kind of took it to Oklahoma State. They had a pretty good balanced offense there, and TCU tried to pull pull it back on Oklahoma. You know, Oklahoma blew a thirty to thirteen lead. TCU almost brought it all the way back, and uh, Baker Mayfield didn't really have a great game. But I saw one of the replays; he, he just got rocked. Yeah, he got concussed. Um, he got knocked out of that game in the first half. Yeah. So, uh, but he was still, I think, only like nine or twenty, nine of twenty, nine of twenty, uh, twenty before that happened. So. Um, I think he and Ezekiel Elliott kind of had their Heisman campaigns derail a little bit this past uh, weekend. Uh, any big surprise to you out of that? Um, we, we know they don't play a ton of defense in the Big 12, so one team can pretty much give it to the other on any given weekend. But I, I, I was surprised with a freshman quarterback, Baylor, beating Oklahoma State because Oklahoma State had looked pretty good up until then. 
this whole weekend was a surprise for me. This was the Murderers Row Butcher Yard weekend. I mean, yeah. I can't say I'm super shocked that Baylor beat Oklahoma State. It was a horrible week for our picks, by the way. I don't even want to know what our percentage was. Um, yeah, let's just act like it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> and not even just in the Big 12. I was losing all over the place. You had you, you had Houston get upset by UConn. I watched that, and yep. that was horrible. You had Memphis going mm-hmm. and get stomped out and just completely shut down by Temple, which, by the way, mm-hmm. was the exact opposite of the way we called. It was just murder's row all all the time. And really, TCU probably should have beaten Oklahoma. Gary Patterson mm-hmm. goes for two on that final touchdown, saying that he plays to win on the road. I'm okay with that call. It was the call earlier where he went for two that really came back to bite him. Um, but this mm-hmm. week, they get Trevon Boykin back. Yeah. This is going to be – Baylor has to win this game. If Baylor doesn't win this, Oklahoma will slide in. But the problem is going to be all the Big 12 teams are going to knock each other out of contention now. Because now that Oklahoma State lost to Baylor, they're not getting in. If Baylor finishes out with one loss, you know they finish out over Oak State. If Oklahoma ends up losing to – if Oklahoma State loses to Oklahoma or Oklahoma loses to Oklahoma State, either one of those teams is fighting for it and going to knock themselves out. You've seen a bunch of losses all over the place where – what is it? They're the only undefeated team is Clemson. Clemson and is Iowa. the only team that's guaranteed to get in. Well, Iowa, but we all know that Iowa's not winning the Big Ten. They might Iowa because if you look at it now. No, they're not. They played all... a really bad schedule. They struggled with <laughs> Purdue. Iowa is Iowa is an overrated team right now. Their record looks nice, but you got to look at who they've played. Uh, well, they just don't have top sort of athletes. I, I don't disagree that? with that, but now that this happened, though, Ohio State losing – they're going to probably get Michigan State in that Big Ten title game. If they upset Michigan State, I don't think the committee can keep them out. An undefeated Big Ten champion, they're going to put it in the game. They're going to put it in the college. Yeah, they're not upset Michigan they're going to do it. State. They're not upset, yeah, upset Michigan I, I didn't see Michigan State upset in Ohio State and Columbus, so I I, I, I don't know. I, I can see anything Michigan happening State, now. Michigan State-Ohio State is a much closer talent pool than Michigan-State-Iowa. I'm not going to take anything away from them. Iowa going undefeated. It's awesome to see. They've got no chance. They just looked out on the side that they're in has basically nobody for them to play. Uh, they took care of Indiana, and that was really the only actual challenge they've had. Um, Notre Dame goes and plays um, Stanford this weekend. Hopefully Stanford beats the bricks off and Notre Dame can get out of there because Notre Dame doesn't deserve to be in there. But uh, I'm going to run out of reasons not to put them in there. Everybody else is losing, so it's going to make me look like I just hate Notre Dame, which is half true, but not, you know, it's uh, yeah. it's coming down to the wire. This has been an interesting year. There, I haven't it, seen it, I haven't seen one standout team besides Clemson this season. I would agree with that, I and mean, I think it's just that the fact that there's so much more parity. Uh, you got teams recruiting more nationally now, and trying to you know such a focus on pulling talent out of the South and out of Texas, where the teams that traditionally always be able to have a foothold in those states and in Georgia in the Floridas, in the Texas, you know, Louisiana, you know, those places. And it's starting to spread that talent pool around a little bit more. I think you're starting to see that. Um, and that's just a product of the SEC destroying people. And they realized they had to get bigger and faster. And they went and said, well, you know, let's recruit where those guys are recruiting. They're starting to get some of those guys. And uh, it's starting to play out. Real quick, before we get uh, to our predictions for who we think is going to be in the top four uh, starting here tonight, I just want to touch on it. Uh, Frank Beamer losing his final home game uh, just being his last season. I thought it was a great scene. Uh, them carrying him off the field anyway in a loss. Uh, and I hate that he's going to go down with the moniker, probably the best coach ever to win a national title, but I think that's going to probably be his legacy. He turned a Virginia Tech team that was really nothing 
and put them on the map. Uh, and he's been turning out pretty good stars into the NFL as well. So, you know, I just wanted to make sure that, you know, included him in the in the podcast and said, you know, great great job, uh, Coach Beamer. And, you know, I think college football is going to miss you as well. He did it uh, in a great way, very classy. And, again, like I said, putting Virginia Tech on the map. Uh, hopefully they can stay up there uh, to get the ACC a little bit more credibility. But I'm not quite sure how they how they move forward without him. Uh, I don't know if Bud Foster is going to be the coach in waiting. I hadn't heard anything about it. But, again, I just want to make sure I give a mention. I'll let you go ahead and finish that out. I mean, there's not much you can say about Beamer. Beamer was a fantastic coach, a great man, put Vatek on the map when they really weren't a good school for any sport, I mean, mm-hmm. at all. Um, mm-hmm. I've heard through the grapevine that Bud, that Bud Foster is not going to be the head coach. I think he's going to be one of these coordinators for life. Uh, there have been some mm-hmm. rumblings that Justin Puentes from Memphis may go there, and we were talking about that. I kind of want to expound on that a little bit later, maybe about five or ten minutes. We can talk about coaching carousels. Uh, yep. It's going to be tough for whoever follows Beamer. I mean, you're going to have to be lovable. You're going to have to win. You're going to have to recruit, and it's it's going to be tough for whoever they get. They're going to have to knock one out of the park. The good news is there's going to be a lot of people that would like to follow up the Beamer legacy and would like to be that Vossette coach now that they're a big school without the expectations of some of these other giant schools. Absolutely. And I'm looking at also, you. I don't know how many years he has left Temple's coach, just in that region, because you've got those teams now with Navy, Houston, uh, Memphis, um, Temple, where, you know, Virginia Tech is a step up for them, right? Yeah, and uh, Central Michigan has a good coach. I was watching a lot of their games this this week, uh, not this week, this year during the week. So I, I agree. I think he's made that a good destination. And, you know, you can get a decent mark of, you know, Maryland, Pennsylvania, and then a little bit in the south in that recruiting area and, and make a little niche for yourself there at Virginia Tech. And it doesn't really come with – I don't think it comes with overwhelming expectation. Like, you need to win, nope. you know, nine games, ten games. Nine. But you don't have to – yeah, you don't have to go undefeated. I don't. It doesn't carry that – yeah, uh, SEC. Um, you know, yeah, you're not even expected to win every year. You're not even expected to win your conference every year. <clears throat> right. It's one exactly. of these big name so, places uh, that you don't have to win at. Agreed. I mean, you have to win. You know, you have to be in contention like once every five years, and that's enough to keep them settled, but still be competitive those other four years. You just can't. You, know, you just can't shit the bed. Um, so, <laughs> hats off to uh, <laughs> Coach Beamer there. Um, just real fast, I know we want to get through some stuff here, and I want to talk about the carousel in a second. Um, tonight we're going to get our the top four and the latest rankings for the college uh, football committee. Um, and like you said, it's just been so much of a bloodbath this past week that I think it's almost set itself. I think you only have a one team that you can quibble with uh, at that four spot. I'm going Clemson one, Iowa two, Alabama three, Oklahoma four, and I Notre Dame five. That would be my top five. I could I think the committee is probably going to flip Iowa and Alabama because that's just what they want to do. Uh, but I think Oklahoma has done enough. They should have done enough at this point to to leapfrog Notre Dame. But they're going to have to be Oklahoma State, of course, to stay there. What are your thoughts? Are, we, are you asking me who I think it should be or who I think it will be? That's two totally different things. Who do you things. think it should be? Who do you think it should who do be? I think, I, I think it should be Clemson, Bama. Uh, I'd still say Oklahoma at this point. And then probably Stanford because I think they're a better team than Notre Dame. Um, the committee, if I had to bet on it, I would bet it ends up Clemson, Alabama, Notre Dame, and then Stanford. I think that would be their four. I think they leave out you the see? Big 12 this week. I think they leave them out this and week Iowa. until it gets settled on. Iowa's not going to get any respect because of their strength schedule, and nobody's expecting them 
to beat Michigan, Michigan State, or Ohio State, whoever they play. So, mm, I mean, I mean that's it's not too much different than what I'm saying, uh, other mm-hmm. than I don't think Notre Dame will be in it after next week because I think they lose to Stanford. <clears throat> but I, I do think they'll slip Stanford into that four because they're going to want to have a Pac-12 in there. Okay, that's interesting. And I can see them doing Iowa like that because that's just that's just the nature of the beast. But they're just the second. Um, they're the only other undefeated team outside of Clemson. That's why I stuck them in there because at some point you have to put them in there. Even if they lose and you know they're going to lose, you're going to have to sneak them in there without there being some kind of uh, uproar. But I can see that happening, especially given the way that um, the, the committee's been going so far. Um, college football games I'm looking forward to this weekend. It's going to be a big rivalry weekend, as it always is, uh, last weekend. Um, of course, for me, the game, Oklahoma State uh, – I mean, oh, Oklahoma State, <laughs> Ohio State, <laughs> Michigan. Uh, <laughs> I just own the brand for talking about it. Because even if we don't lose, we'll, we'll win but one game every year. It, it needs to be Michigan. I mean, that's just what it is for me, and I'm sure you feel that way for the Georgia, Georgia Tech, and when Georgia plays Florida nope. as well. Georgia, Florida. Uh, you done? That's my game. Georgia, Florida. Okay, Georgia, Florida. Uh, Baylor, TCU, I think, is just, you know, in that Oklahoma, Oklahoma State game, those two pairs together just to decide who wins the Big 12, and you just touched on it, Notre Dame and Stanford, because I think that's going to give us a look at who's going to round out that final college football top four when it's all said and done. I mean, you touched on it. It's basically all my games, Ohio State, Michigan, uh, now that it's a lot closer game than I thought it would have been at the beginning of the season. Um, basically all four of the Big 12 teams. Um, Baylor-TCU I've really got my eye on. It's always a good game. Oklahoma-Oklahoma State should be good this year, although I'm expecting Oklahoma to win that one by two scores, uh, by about ten points, I'd say. Uh, mm-hmm. Notre Dame-Stanford, and it's really it. I don't have much. Clemson's going to murder South Carolina. We all know that. Uh, Florida State and yeah. Florida should be a good matchup. I would, I'd like to see that. But uh, with Sean yeah. McGuire running there, I don't think they're going to be able to do much against that Florida defense, which I also think is a factor about why Jimbo leaves. Okay, so let's just go into that. Uh, while we're still here doing college football, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about our uh, Bengals and, and Falcons here in a second. Let's just stay on the college football topic because uh, for everybody listening, you know, we kind of had a uh, – a pre-podcast <laughs> text message going back and forth because there's a really interesting article on uh, Sports Illustrated Campus Rush edition of where they think all the coaches are going to go for the job openings that are currently here. So, of course, it doesn't include LSU quite yet. It doesn't include Florida State because there's been a lot of speculation of Fisher going back home to Louisiana. Um, so go ahead and go for it um, uh, there, Dylan. I, I, my thing is I get the, the understanding of the pull of home for Jimbo Fisher um, but Florida is such a rich recruiting state. And I would basically call it the best recruiting state in the nation where you have that. You Right now you have the best job in the state because Miami's still down. Florida's on the upswing, but you already have Florida State, you know, two years removed from a national championship. Um, and they're going to have enough good games in conference to where it's not going to be over the top where the SEC is, but enough to keep you relevant because you're still going to have Clemson who's playing well. And I don't think they're going anywhere with Dabo. You got to tie in now with Notre Dame playing, and then you got a resurgent Florida team. So you have three games you can hang your hat on that. Hey, if we win these three games and go undefeated, we're going to be in the top four. So to do that, to move to LSU, uh, and then have to face Nick Saban every year and and um, try to pick that up. I I just don't know why you would do that unless they just you know break the bank for them. Yeah, I'm going to try to run through this really quick so we can touch on the Falcons. We're running out of time. We got about ten minutes. So I'm going to try to get this in about five. Um, some of the rumors, 
uh, would be if Les Miles – it all, it's all contingent about on Les Miles getting fired for the huge uh-huh. change that happened. If Les Miles is bought out, the prevailing thought is Jimbo moving to LSU, uh, which uh-huh. Jimbo has not denied at all. In fact, he said it would be unfair to talk about it during the season, which is a really interesting choice of words. makes it seem like yes, he's really yes. meaning to LSU. Uh, there's, mild, yeah. there's mild speculation that if Saban wins the national championship, he'd go to Texas to rebuild them because that's his home and blah, 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 all that good stuff. I don't expect that to happen. Uh, it's an interesting thing to note and keep in the back of your mind. If that happens, it's going to be total anarchy. Um, yeah. They're talking about Justin Fuentes being the one to replace Beamer. I don't see it happening. I don't think that fits his mold. Uh, I would look at Temple's coach. They may try to get a young guy in there. That would be a good fit. Uh, there's uh-huh. there's a few. Tom, uh, Tom Herman basically is going to have his pick. If Jimbo leaves, expect Tom Herman to take over at FSU if they don't go and grab one of these coaches from the NFL like Bill O'Brien or Jeff Fisher. Speaking of those two, the USC vacancy right now is down to really three candidates. Uh, Ed Orgeron, the defensive line coach at LSU, did a really bad job at Ole Miss but did a fantastic job when he was the interim at USC. Uh, So Uh that's in line there. There's speculation that um, North Carolina's coach would move to South Carolina which would be shocker and would be a huge thing in state. That would make that rivalry just explode. Uh, Jeff Fisher and Billy O'Brien both expected to be runners in the USC train. Um, I would expect Orgeron, really. I don't think that Jeff Fisher would leave for that. Billy O'Brien's an interesting case because he may be tired of having the unbalanced team, and he may jump back down to college. Uh, These this next week and going through these final games of the NFL season is going to be a huge, huge watch just to see which coaches dip out and leave. Should be fun to watch. Absolutely. Uh, my only thing about that, yeah, if, if Nick Saban leaves Alabama, that would just set. I mean, Jimbo Fisher's not even the, the domino at that point. It would be Nick Saban. I just have a hard time seeing that his age going to Texas, and I think he could turn around and not. It wouldn't take him forever to turn around Texas, but. You know, at his age, to go and want to start over all over again, given that he has Alabama exactly where he wants it, um, I don't know. But that would be crazy because then you have Dabo Swinney who's going to leave Clemson to go to Alabama because those have mm-hmm. already, rumors have already been put there. And then now you have just pure chaos. So that would be really interesting if that happens, but I think that's just more fodder for us to talk about. But thank you for running through those. And, again, um, yeah, I think, but I honestly think it's going to be less mouths in that Jimbo Fisher pairing. That's the first domino, and then that's going to set off a chain reaction behind it. All right, now that we've destroyed all of the college football discussion, um, my goodness, Matt Ryan, I don't think we necessarily have to to really speak on it a long time. I think he is the problem right now for the Falcons. I mean, there's some game planners that I can quibble with when you come out and just decide to throw three straight passes to Roddy White. Um, You don't get Devontae going, and then, you know, he gets uh, banged up. But Matt Ryan just does not look – healthy to me, and as this keeps happening, and if they don't make the playoffs, you're going to have a drumbeat to want to draft a quarterback high if one falls to a land in the first or second round. Yeah, there's not much you can say about it, Matt. is vehemently saying he's healthy. Um, he just hasn't played well. One of the scary things is he's been put down on the ground and put down hard a lot because he's never had a good line. Uh, he's taken a lot of punishment his eight seasons. Um, he's never been the strongest arm guy to begin with. The problem now has been his decision-making. And his stats look really good. He's thrown for a lot of yards. But once he gets into the red zone, he's just been awful. Mm-hmm. And that pick at the end of the game to DeQuell Jackson was one of the worst I've seen this year. I mean, that was a walk-in pick six. That was the one thing you couldn't do at that time. And uh, 
it's, it hasn't been a good look for Matt Ryan. As far as them drafting a quarterback, I wouldn't mind them drafting a developmental guy because I still, regardless of how this shakes out with Matt Ryan, I don't think he has another five good years. I think he's been plated and hit hard so much, and he already didn't have a fantastic arm, that once it starts to go, uh, he's going to look like Chad Pennington. <laughs> I would love them. <laughs> That's not the same thing bad. Matt Ryan's been the best quarterback in Falcons history. He's been one of the top, I'll say one of the top ten, maybe one of the top seven quarterbacks in the league since he came in. Um, it would be about time for them to draft a developmental guy, maybe the third or fourth round. The problem is they've got so many other holes where you're going to find right. a good developmental guy to take. If if all things considered, if you could, I'd take Dak Prescott if you could get him in the fourth round. I think he's going to be a fantastic quarterback in the pros. Um, it's just there's a lot going on in Atlanta right now. Flowery Branch is not looking good. You're lying. People were blaming them for everything, but they're not playing as bad as these people leading you to believe. Uh, they're not playing fantastic, but they're still playing better than he's had the last three years. Uh, Devonta mm-hmm. gives you another option in the run game that you haven't had since Michael Turner. Uh, you've got Julio. Um, Hankerson, for some reason, is their number two target, uh, and he will drop two or three a game, but he makes some good catches. So he's not he's not useless. Roddy being old definitely hurts because you've lost yeah. that other true element on the outside. Uh, the defense, they're better than they were last year, but it's not hard to be better than the last place defense in the league. They've got a lot of holes all over this field. Uh, we were talking about this before the show. When you break it down into franchise players, honestly, they've got three, maybe four. They've got Julio, Matt Ryan, Desmond Trufant, and maybe Jake Matthews if you think he's going to develop the way he should. Yeah, I I, I will concur with all of that. But don't think about it. And Devonta. You know, I'll throw in Devonta if this isn't a, if, if this isn't a fluke or a, or a system. Right. I think that's too early to put him in there right now. So I will go with those four. And but the thing about it is the quarterback driven league, right? And I totally agree. That Julio Dre is great as he is, is still coming back to haunt them because they weren't able to build up Yes, all those draft picks. Uh but you know it's gonna be the drum beat of it if he continues to play like that, instead of going and going back and and refilling the trenches, they're gonna do something crazy like draft a quarterback. And I, if that press hot falls to the fourth round, the Falcons game, that is a steal because I don't know what people are looking at if he falls to the fourth round because that's that's just crazy talk. Um, I just want to and real quick, we, real quick yeah. before we move on. I'm sorry. Uh, I just kind of want to outline like you you were brought you brought the Julio trade as a big detriment for right now as good as he is. Uh, another huge detriment was them giving Matt Ryan the hundred million dollar extension a year yeah. early. And while I have a little mm-hmm. bit of time, I kind of want to outline. What they should have done was not given him the extension in a year, tagged him. Then you bring in one really good lineman. Then you pay uh-huh. Matt Ryan being the last season. You tag Julio for this season and give him his mega deal at the end of this season. That way you can get another good lineman like uh, Evan Mathis when he was when he left the Eagles. You could have signed him, brought him in. That gives you three good linemen. You still could have brought in Person and Chester. You pushed that off for another year. And then you do the same thing with Desmond Trufant after next season or after this season. You would tag him the year after, add his contract onto it. Basically, you're just moving salaries on down the year. The problem is you gave him that $100 million contract, and you didn't have any linemen to protect him. <laughs> right. And, and if you, again, if you know, the capologists you would think would know that inside the building and fire branch and why they did that. I totally agree with that. And I think if you want to take it a step further, they're paying him too much anyway because it's hard to fill in other holes when you're paying one person that kind of money. Um, I would have tried for $80 and, million, but Matt wanted to get paid the same as Flacco, to which case I would have right. shoved it off for another year. Because, I mean, there's a reason why the franchise tag is there. 
No, I to- totally agree. And like I said, unless you have a, a system like Green Bay with, you know, Jordy Nelson and, and Randall Cobb took less money to come back and play Aaron Rodgers. Matt Ryan and Julio Jones were not taking less money for anybody. And, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not going to control anybody else's purse strings, but, you know, you kind of have to have some kind of checks and balances to give and take if you want to fill a competitive team up and down. So, totally agree. Excellent. Thanks for dropping that knowledge on us. Yep. Um, before we get cut off, and if we do, I appreciate everybody for listening to us. We'll be back again probably Tuesday again next week. I think that might work a little bit better for both of us. Um, the Bengals, uh, my word. It'll probably win. I don't know. We'll have to figure out schedules and figure all this out. But we will get okay. to you next week, I promise you. Absolutely. My Bengals, mercy. Unable to score a touchdown at home against Houston. And then the worst clock management on third and two on on Monday night against Arizona. Now, I know they just missed A.J. by inch on that touchdown pass for, for the love. If you don't run the ball on third and two, even if you don't get the first down, you can take the clock almost all the way down to, you know, 25, 30 seconds, kick the time field goal, and you don't give Carson Palmer the time to go right down the middle of the field and kick the game-winning field goal. I, I just don't understand what happens, you know, when between the games being Sunday at 1 o'clock and the being in prime time. Do they just, are they losing brain cells? Are they smoking before the game? Like, I don't understand why you would do that. And it's just like you talked about earlier, why teams go for two in the third quarter. It always comes back to bite you. Third and two, you're in field goal range. The other team doesn't have a timeout. Run the ball. They gave. They might not have won the game in overtime, but they at least would have gotten two overtime. I can't argue with you there. Although my only thing with that AJ catch is it kind of it's kind of weird to me because the pylon is considered in play and AJ landed mm-hmm. on the pylon. I don't understand why that's not technically in play, but that's that's another discussion for another time. Uh, it's just it's <laughs> one of those things that we thought that they were dodging it this year, but it's one of those things that the Bengals just tend to do. And I'm sorry to have to tell you this. I know you live it every year, but it seems to be when when it comes time for them to really crunch down, they they just choke. They can't seem to get over and just get over that hump, and they they beat themselves, whether they come out completely flat or Dalton decides he can't throw the ball over somebody's shoulder and he always puts it behind him. It's just one of those things. I, I, I totally agree, and I think I'm in for another heartbreak. I hopefully they even make the playoffs because I don't want to be one of those NFL uh, top ten stories of the worst teams of all time start off eight and zero and not make the playoffs. So they've got to get it together. They got to look themselves in the mirror uh, because, like you said, they just cannot win in prime time. And how long do you want to be the punching bag and be Pittsburgh's little brother? Um, I think you know, great show, brother. Uh, I think before the lady comes in here and cuts us off, <laughs> we can actually have a sign off. Uh, <laughs> it was right. So, exactly. You know, thank you everybody for downloading the podcast and tuning in. Um, it'll be available in a couple minutes here when it goes on to the site. As always, Dylan, enjoy your stats and your insight. Hopefully we get a better weekend here and our robbery games and our NFL teams do a better job so we can have some more positive things to talk about next week as opposed to exposing the things that are wrong with them. Appreciate you, everybody. Talk to you next week. Go ahead and uh, get the people some words there, Dylan. Always appreciate working with you. Always a pleasure. Guys, have a fantastic night. We'll catch you again next week. You know this is the best place for any sort of stats news. Be good now. Absolutely. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Talk to you later, brother. Thanksgiving. Later, buddy. All right, bro.